How's it going, everyone? I am joined by Lamar Wilson, the founder of the Bitcoin Black Billionaires and author of, or co-author with many different authors of Bitcoin and the American Dream. Lamar, thanks for coming on the show. How you doing, man? Yeah, it's Black Bitcoin Billionaires, everyone. Black Bitcoin Billionaires. But oh yeah, man, I, I no worries. Them up. Everybody does, man. It's alliteration, right? It's all those bees in there, but it's cool, <laughs> man. I appreciate how, I appreciate coming on the show, man. I've been I've been looking forward to this for a while. We're looking forward to having you, and we're also looking forward to having you speak at the uh, Bitcoin twenty twenty two conference. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being on stage again. That's that's, that's becoming like the mecca of Bitcoin. It's like everybody's like the uh, pilgrimage back to home or something. You know what I'm saying? Everybody comes to that to that event, so it's pretty cool to see, uh, especially all my old heads and a bunch of people that I'm just now learning to learning about on the internet. So yeah, man, I can't wait. I'm really excited for it. So I actually have news. I've never been to a Bitcoin conference uh, hosted by Book and Magazine. I know I now work there. Uh -huh. Last year I had a buddy's wedding, and then prior years I wasn't even into Bitcoin yet. I did have a chance to go to the go to the tab conference and that was a okay. blast. So I have been to a Bitcoin conference, but none of this scale. So I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Shout out Michael Tidwell. What's going on, Tidwell? Yeah, yeah Michael Tidwell threw an awesome conference for the yeah. tab conference. That's but, my guy. That is my guy. I call him Titty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lamar, so let's get into your story. Uh, I guess, where did you grow up from? What's your family life like? And then uh, we'll take it from there. Oh, man, where I grew up, man, I grew up on the northwest side of a town called Lexington, Kentucky, the second biggest city in the state of Kentucky, but uh, it's by far the best city in the state of Kentucky. Let's just say that. Um, so I grew up, grew up basically uh, to a couple of my, my dad is, uh, was, a, when I was born, my dad was like a janitor, my mom was a what do you call administrative assistant now? They called them secretaries back then. Um, and I, I mean, grew up a regular, really great life. I mean, very, very loved, great family. Um, dad became a preacher, I mean, a pastor uh, later on in my life. So just a really good family. Um, and that's how I grew up. And then from my, from my mom, I mean, from my own standpoint, I've been married since I was 19. I had a kid uh, out of wedlock and then we got married. And I've been married for almost what, 22 years now, man. Almost 23 years. So yeah, man, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I enjoy family more than anything. I'm always talking about generational wealth, but you can't have generational wealth without having generations, right? So I, I love family. I love love. I love all of that stuff far more than uh, Bitcoin itself. I'm like, there's no reason for Bitcoin if you don't have love. Like, anyway, we won't get into that right now. I love that. You can't have generational wealth if you don't have generations. Uh, that's, a, that's definitely a quote that we'll use on Bitcoin Magazine's <laughs> Twitter for sure. Um, yeah, and I guess that goes into the ethos of Bitcoin, talking about not just thinking about tomorrow, next month, next year, even five years. A lot of Bitcoiners talk about 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, like you said, generational wealth. Uh, so I guess, how did you get into Bitcoin? And then how did you see it as generational wealth? Yeah, man. So I got into Bitcoin because I, I've always been an entrepreneur. I had a software uh, company and we built this game platform, uh, like playing games online, like, like Chuck E. Cheese. We were trying to like allow you to play games online and then you get tickets and you can go to Amazon and redeem those tickets for something on Amazon. Um, it sucked. 
Uh, but when I was out pitching it, I met a VC who was telling me, he was like, I see you guys got this currency in your game. Like, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? And I was like, Bitcoin? I thought he said big. Everybody knows. I thought he said big coin, like B-I-G. I'm like, heck no, I've never heard of that. And so we leave the meeting and uh, my business partner, he looks on his phone. He's like, I think he's saying Bitcoin. And he shows me the website. We look at it. We both kind of like, whatever. So uh, me and my co-founder, of course, you know, like startup founders do. We're like, ah, this really has nothing to do with us. So it's kind of like, yeah, what's the point? We just went on and did what we were doing and sucked at that at that startup. It was called, uh, it was funny because it was called Fever. And then uh, <laughs> what happened, probably, uh, I don't know if it was a year later. It was, I can't remember the exact time. I just remember it being a headline saying Bitcoin hits all-time high. And I was like, the heck is things still around? So I look at it and um, I finally actually go look at the white paper. I go to the website, I get the white paper. I read the white paper and... I am blown away because I have a finance degree and I've, I'm a software developer by trade. And so there's no greater marriage of two disciplines than Bitcoin, right? Than those two disciplines than Bitcoin. And so, and plus for me, when I looked at the white paper, all I saw was freedom because I'm a kind of person that um, is really big on uh, individual freedom, people being able to do what they want to do as long as it's not hurting someone else uh, and not having someone else control my money not having someone else hold my money. I'm in, I'm into that, right? I'm into like sovereignty, self-sovereignty and being able to be sustained within yourself. And so Bitcoin for me just completely personified freedom from a monetary standpoint, me understanding how the monetary system works from the banks and all the lending that goes on. So it got me into Bitcoin. Um, I started purchasing some. I can't remember if I got, I got my first one in public. I remember that uh, I went on local Bitcoin, found somebody and we, we went to a McDonald's or a Starbucks or something. And I got my first Bitcoin and I took some of that Bitcoin and sent it to Mount Gox. And just so I could play around with it because I just didn't really know what was going on. But it was just so cool just being able to send it somewhere else, right? To send this Bitcoin somewhere else and then to play around with it on the exchange. Luckily, I got it off before because things started acting weird on Mount Gox for me playing around with. And I was like, something's not right. So I immediately tried to withdraw everything I had as soon as possible. And I guarantee just a few, maybe weeks or a month or so later, Mount Gox went down. So I lucked up on that one. Um, but from there, man, I, I, uh, uh, when I saw the white paper, the craziest part is I started building a wallet called the FIFA wallet um, that wind up at one point being the only wallet you could get on an iPhone, not in the iOS store because they had banned all wallets out of the store, but my wallet you could get because we utilized this special license that allowed us to distribute it, distribute our wallet, or distribute our software to anybody within our organization. Well, we made an organization that was a co-op, so then everybody was a member, so then we could deliver it to everybody. So that's how I got into Bitcoin. That's kind of like my early beginnings in, in the space. Yeah. So what was the year that you first bought Bitcoin then? Was that like tw probably 2012, 2013 time frame? Yeah, it had, it had to be there. Because the funniest part is, is like, I always told the story as if it was 2012, but I saw the picture of me being at their VCs in 2011. Okay. So it's like, cause I'm not great with dates at all. I just saw the picture on my tap, like on my, you know, how Facebook brings back up memories. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, this was 11. I said, I've been telling the story a year late because I don't really know. I'm just, when you, especially when you're a software developer, it kind of stays in a cave. Like you don't know when the day or night is. Right. So yeah, but it's around 12, 13 is when I got into the space. Yeah, that's so funny. I do you want to expand on the wallet development story because I think I heard it. I heard about you first from Clubhouse in uh, January of 2021 when I finally got on that platform. I've now been only doing exclusively spaces, 
But can you expand on the story? I know it's a pretty funny story for our listeners to hear about you developing the wallet. Yeah, so um, was when I saw the white paper, the funny thing about that, that evening, I stayed up the entire night and I just started researching everything. Cryptography, all kinds of stuff that I had never done. Like I'm a self-taught developer. And so it's it wasn't foreign for me to go and try to figure out how to do something else. But it was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I sat up all night. I was running a business, software business with my buddy, uh, with my co-founder, Leif. And I hit him up and said, man, I was looking at this Bitcoin all night last night. He said, I had a dream about Bitcoin. <laughs> and I was like, man, well, I was in there trying to work on it all night. I said, I'm gonna have to build something. So I started off building this thing called Coin IDs, which is very similar to what people are trying to do with these, with these names. Um, because I was like, if you have a Coin ID, you can map it into a address and you would have to use long addresses. But then I was like, well, shoot, for me to get that to work, I got to get in touch with all the wallet developers. That I said, well, let me just build a wallet. So then I built a wallet and we used the name Fever from the old game platform that sucked um, because we had the domain. It may say it was a hot wallet, right? We wanted people to know it was a hot wallet. And so we built that wallet out and um, it helped me to, then, I, then what happened was so crazy. The Texas Bitcoin conference was coming up and I looked on their page. And I was like, man, they don't even have no black dudes on here. And so uh, I was like, man, I said, I'm going to hit them up and be like, hey, man, y'all need to throw, throw some black speaker on there. Plus, I got this wallet. And so me talking to the organizers, uh, they saw the same thing. And they was like, yeah, come on down. You know what I mean? So my very first Bitcoin conference I ever went to, I was able to uh, speak about my wallet. I was, so I have not really ever paid for a conference because I usually speak. And it started off with my very first one. And uh, shout out to Dave Bailey. Um, everybody who knows Dave Bailey, he was the very first person I met in Bitcoin. People don't know that. When I when I got out of our uh, car to come to the conference, I saw this door on the bottom of the raceway where we were having the conference. He opens the door and he's like, hey, what's going on? My name's Dave. He introduced himself to me. He was the very first person outside of anything else that I had met in Bitcoin, right? So shout out Dave Bailey, man. Me and him been cool since that point, man. It's just, he's a really cool cat. And uh, for most people, they don't know he's like the man. He is the owner of Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Media, the whole nine. So shout out to Dave. What's happening, man? That's uh, for those that don't know. Yeah, Dave Bailey is the CEO uh, of Bitcoin Magazine. He's my boss's boss, I guess. So he's the, he's the big kahuna, basically. Um, so Lamar, so you have a, an interesting background in both finance and uh, web development or, or computer programming. Uh, that's kind of very unique. Right. I know when I first looked at the white paper, I was completely lost. I have an engineering background, but anything to do with uh, electricity or magnetism, I stay away from. I'm a chemical engineer by degree, so I'm more about mixing stuff up in the lab. But uh, when it comes to computer and electrons, I always joke with my electrical engineering buddies. Uh, they What they do is magic, and they say what I do is magic. So we have a mutual respect for that. So right. for someone that has a background more in computer programming, obviously you understood that, but did you look at it when you first saw it as the financial piece as well? Yeah. So the financial piece for me was more so from a freedom standpoint, because I was just thinking, I was like, when I was reading it, I was like, this makes a lot of sense because if I like the money in the bank is supposed to be my money, they're just holding it for me, but it's the only place in the world that somebody's holding something for you, but they put rules around when you can get it. Think about that. It's like they're holding it for you, but then they tell you on certain days you can't come and get it. You can't move it to someone else. You can't, right? And so I was like, this 
from this standpoint, it makes so much more sense because now I can actually program my money. I can put my money in there. I can move it around the globe. I can send it to a buddy in Pakistan that may be making me some shoes without getting on an OFAC list. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guarantee if people started sending money into Russia, even if it was just to get some kind of goods from somebody who may might have created some hat for you or something, right? If you do that right now, you're going to be on some list. I guarantee if you send dollars into Russia right now, somebody's going to mark you down on the list as doing something nefarious just because of what's going on in the world. My thing is, is that Bitcoin allows you to get outside of that because you can send it to whoever you want to anywhere in the globe. So that for me, that's what I saw. Right. That's the part. The financial part is what I saw as far as like it's going to raise a lot in value. I really wasn't thinking about that. Because for me, freedom is far more important than because freedom is more valuable to me than just money. How many dollars can I get for something? Freedom is way more important than just having a bunch of fiat. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I look at things because it's, it's a, again, it goes back to my belief of sovereignty. I think if you have sovereign money, you have to start thinking about self-sovereignty, which is owning your own land, being able to protect that land, right? Doing the things that nation states do before your own self as an individual, being able to create and produce your own energy, your own food, those kinds of things. And so for me, that's what Bitcoin really, um, really highlighted by looking at it from that angle and economically saying there's only going to ever be 21 million of them. So I might as well get as many as I possibly can right now. And it wasn't about trying to like, you know, the price going up. That didn't matter as much. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great story. Uh, I'd like to piggyback on that as well. I mean, even if you're just looking at the last two years, look at what's going on with the Canadian truckers with uh, Canada trying to shut people's bank accounts. I won't need to get political here about what side of the aisle you're on. But uh, yeah, I'm in the aisle. I'm in the aisle. <laughs> in the aisle. Yeah, I'm but, in the aisle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, exactly. But like, just governments, tyrannical or authoritarian or whatever, just doing what's in their own best interest, and that doesn't always align with the citizens that they represent. One of my favorite stories in the space is from Russell Okun. I know many people know him. He's a offensive, a retired offensive tackle from uh, the NFL, and he played in a Super Bowl and has a ring. Uh, but then he really became a Bitcoiner, I believe, in 2018 or 2017. So he's a Nigerian, uh, American, Nigerian-born uh, American. And he was over there visiting family offseason. And uh, he brought U.S. dollars that he earned by, you know, donating his body to the league and to protecting a quarterback within the league. And he was over there giving out U.S. dollars fiat that he had withdrawn drawn from his account legally and given them out to his family because the Nigerian uh, dollar, um, I think it's the, the Niro, uh, the Not Niro really. um, was hyperinflating, or at least it's not as strong as U.S. dollars. So many people, even in the local economy, want the U.S. dollar. It's a, you know the world reserve currency, and there's a demand for it globally because of that. Uh, so he was giving out money to his family and relatives, nothing absorbent, just money to his family, and he ran out of fiat. And so then he goes to a Western Union or a bank in Nigeria and gives a call back to his bank in the United States and ultimately says he wants to withdraw money. And this is not the Nigerian print story where, hey, I'm scamming the bank. He told <laughs> his credit card companies and his banks that he was going to be there from this date to this date. And ultimately, he talked to the bank teller and they told him that they like Mr. Okun, like we really appreciate your service and like you being a client here, but we can't give you your money. And he's like, your money. <laughs> yeah. Why can't you give me your, my money? Like I'm here. I told you I was going to be here. Like I'm not doing anything illegal, nothing nefarious. I just need more fiat dollars. I'm on vacation. And, you know, ultimately, she's like, I have to give you to the manager. And the manager basically reiterates what the bank teller was telling him and says that I'm sorry, like, but. 
you can't withdraw your money because Nigeria is on a non-OFAC compliant or not part of the SWIFT system or for whatever reason that, you know, we can't serve you, but we're happy to serve you once you get back stateside and we'll give you your money. Uh, and that's kind of what really had him go down the rabbit hole back in, I believe it's either 2017 or 2018 to really dig in and see like, wait, this is my money. I've earned it with my own blood, sweat, and tears, injuries, concussions, you know, right. harm to his body. And they're telling him what he can and cannot do with his own money. Uh, it's pretty crazy. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Lamar. No, man, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, this is crazy. Like, it's almost like Jay, uh, what's it called? Jay Wentworth. It's my money and I want it now. Like, why do you even have to say that if it's your money? Like it's the only organization I can think of where there, somebody's holding something for you and I can understand a trust or something like that, but that's something you establish yourself to make sure that money doesn't leave. But when you're talking about a freaking bank, I put the money in there so, I can, so you would hold it for me, but I need access to it when I need access to it. And there is, there is no other organization that takes your wealth and says, nope, you can't get your own stuff. Right. Even the storage container down the street is 24 hours. Right. You put your stuff in a storage container somewhere like in a warehouse storage container. It's usually 24 hours. You can go there at any point and put your stuff in the storage and take your stuff out. But when it comes to the bank, it doesn't work. And so that makes a whole lot of sense. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think people understand those issues until they have to deal with those issues. Right. Until you go to a place like Nigeria or until you are somebody who is a global person, then you start to realize how rough it is around the globe, around trying to make sure you control your handle your wealth. You were talking about it like we like today. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. It's today like what happened in Ukraine and the Russia going into Ukraine. And I don't know if it's going to date this interview, but that happened today. Right. This morning, Russia goes in, invades Ukraine and people can't think about it. If they wanted to flee. It's very difficult. You can own land. You can own, you know, your real estate, the, the stuff on top of your land. You can own all types of assets, gold, silver, but it'll be very difficult to flee with any of that stuff. And so now you have to leave your wealth behind in a country that is being attacked by another country. Whereas if you have Bitcoin, you just put your backpack on with a couple of pair of underwear in the back and some water and you got your Bitcoin wallet and you out of there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you still have your wealth. You can go somewhere else and be able to establish yourself again because you were able to take your wealth with you. And Bitcoin allows for that. You can't do that with a bunch of gold. If you took put all your wealth in gold, you're not carrying it across the border, right? And so it's like those kind of those kind of things are far more valuable to me than just saying, oh, it went up this much in fiat dollars. Like that's, to be honest, that ain't even a, a property of Bitcoin that it going up in fiat dollars. It's a property of dollars losing value against bitcoin it's the fact that those dollars are whack right that's really what that is so yeah i i feel i feel that man it's it people don't know people don't know the pain till they feel the pain and all i try to tell people is like look this is what other people have experienced that doesn't mean you're not going to and if it comes it's better to be prepared than not to be prepared right it's better to be ready than not so My fellow clubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. 
This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. You want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. And my co-host, Alex McShane, uh, he couldn't be on the, the show today, but he has a story that he said a couple times on the show as well. Uh, his family is farmers out in Iowa, and uh, they've been on that land over 100 years. Like, I think he said like 150 or even longer than that. You know, they paid off their debts. They own the, the, the they built the houses on it. They farmed the land and all that. And uh, let's just say there's a special interest group that's trying to put a pipeline right through their land. So this corporation is going through the government and using eminent domain. So basically the government is being the strong arm for this corporation. You know, they, the, the, the governments across the world have a monopoly on money printing and violence, and they're trying to use the strong arm before going to violence or money printing to go take them to court. And so Alex was trying to convince his parents, this is a few years ago, to get into Bitcoin. And they're like, no, that's magic internet money. That's not going to happen to us. We're farmers. Just leave us alone. Well, it just goes happens to show that you know they have no debt on the land. They own it outright. They pay their taxes, and yet they're being told they have to give out a portion of their farmland to a special interest group that wants to put a pipeline right down the middle of their farm. Right. Uh, and then they're like, wow, you know, Alex, this Bitcoin thing you talked about, you can't get anything <laughs> confiscated. Sounds pretty good right now. And like I said, they've been there over 150 years. I know um, I was in a room with you, Lamar, on Clubhouse. And you said, uh, you were saying, I think, I mean, many people have used this analogy, like Bitcoin is as American as apple pie, but you even said black people should love Bitcoin because you guys have a history of people taking stuff from them. So if you want to expand on that. Yeah, man. And it's, especially in this country, African-Americans, what we have dealt with from the financial system is really there is, it, there's a racial system that was set up and everybody's like, well, racism is no longer because those laws don't exist anymore. But I don't pe think people understand the residual effects of those laws. Compound interest is a thing, right? So if, if you're not able to participate in compound interest for a very long period of time beforehand, and when you are starting to build wealth at a rapid rate, um, right after reconstruction, I always talk about this, right after reconstruction, a lot of towns across America from uh, freed slaves were coming up. And because they were kept out of the economic, you know, systems that were allowing money or capital to fly outside of their community, they had to rely on themselves and that capital continued to circulate within that community several times. What happened is, is that because of that capital in the community circulating many times, it built the wealth of everyone in that community. It's like high tide rises all ships. But here's the problem. Because they were becoming more wealthy, because they um, were building extremely rapidly and there was a lot of growth, out, they just came from slavery. They were able to get to a point where people had cars and people owned five banks and like in a place called Tulsa, Oklahoma and Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like you're talking about a 40 block city that was extremely wealthy, right? And these are people that didn't have access to the, you know, to the actual common mainstream economy so what happened people began to get jealous 
And instead of them trying to work with the poor whites that were around them, instead of them trying to work with them, and even some of the ones that had money, instead of them working with the guys in Greenwood and saying, okay, let's build wealth all around, they went in and bombed them. And people don't know, before that even happened in 1921 and 1919, it's what they called the Red Summer, where there were attacks on these types of cities all across the country, like the Red Summer of 1919. People need to look that up. So if you think about it, in an environment where these people were slaves first, they were able to build for themselves. They started to basically, quote unquote, pull themselves up by the bootstraps, making economies for themselves, creating community for themselves, and then to have people come in and attack it just for the very reason of them doing that, right? Just because they were able to build. Now they get all of that wealth taken and there's no recourse. There's no, nobody's coming to save them. So you're talking about in Tulsa, I went there last year for the anniversary, for the 100 year anniversary. They said that there's two, $2.5 million worth of claims that weren't that were never settled from back in 1921. Imagine what that's worth today in today's dollars, 2.5 million. But none of those families have seen any of that money from an insurance perspective. People talk about reparations, but that's not reparations. That's just contractual. Like I paid you my premiums. Where, where is my money for this, these, these buildings that were burned down? There was a bank there that the FDIC or that the government never made sure they took care of the deposits. You see what I'm saying? So you're talking about that's that's just one city. All of that wealth was taken. You talk about redlining. There's a lot of things that the government has set up legally to keep black people from out of building wealth in this country. And so when you look at Bitcoin, access to it is completely free and open. Like I said, I bought my first one at a, at a public location. Nobody can stop me from doing it. The fact that I can go and purchase it and access it without having to have a certain credit rating, without having to live in a certain neighborhood, and I have the same opportunity as someone who, I got this, but somebody who's poor has the same exact opportunity as Jack Dorsey or Michael Saylor to get the same Bitcoin, right? They might not be able to buy as much, but they still have access to be able to accumulate the same amount of Bitcoin. That is powerful, bro, because that's what happens when you have a decentralized platform. You get empowerment versus somebody being empowered over you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's for African-Americans. And I know I gave kind of a history lesson, but I mean, I think during we're in Black Future Month right now. This is February, so uh, <laughs> it's Black Future Month. So it's, I think it's good for people to know the kind of things that happen. They got us to the point where we are, and that's why Bitcoin is very important for many people who look like me and who come from the kind of circumstances and history that I've come from. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. And even if you think historically in this country, uh, or at least, you know, the better part of 100 years, what's the best way to build wealth? It was through real estate. And that's how many people have built a lot of wealth. But if you're starting behind the eight ball, because you don't have enough money, or you're considered a bad credit risk that goes against you. And then let's be honest, even with redlining stuff, if you're, you know, in a bad area, or if you're a certain skin color or religion, or you look a certain way, they can give you a higher interest rate as well. So while someone else can have a much lower interest rate, for whatever reason, you know, you can you and I could buy a dollar Bitcoin, and there's no premium on it. Yeah, okay, maybe where we buy it from. But if you go to strike and I go to strike, it's going to be the same, no fees, or Swan or Coinbase, or where, wherever you're purchasing it from, you know, it's apolitical, it doesn't care about your race, your religion, anything. Uh, and I also like expanding on the Tulsa thing. You know, I'm of a person that believes, uh, kind of like you said, all uh, high tides raise all ships. But even like you don't have to build the highest building by knocking over other people's buildings. You could build the highest building by just building it and building up the community around you. Like just because you have a skyscraper doesn't mean that I can't have a skyscraper just as tall or taller. You know what I mean? Right. And then you right. try and beat me to build something even taller. So uh, you don't have to destroy in order to create more wealth. Uh, and but I think that's something that's lost. 
But I think the, the whole point was, is that there was a, a certain narrative that was pushed into certain people's mindsets, which is the same type of narrative we see today, where it's like these people that came out of slavery, they started pushing the narrative like they're going to take your jobs. There aren't that many jobs out here. It's come from a place of scarcity, right? There's not that many jobs out here. These people that are coming out of slavery are going to take your jobs and you don't want them to make it because they're going to take your place in society. And they, it's like people, the haves, plant, implant these types of mentalities into people. And so now you see the same thing happening with people from, from Mexico and other places um, in Latin America. Like when they come here, it's like, oh, they're going to take your jobs. It's the same thing to help divide us. And now, of course, the division thing is, are you going to wear a mask or not? <laughs> right? Are you going to get vaccinated or not? It's like, I don't think we've understood exactly what's going on in this country because usually what happens is the people that don't have a whole lot, there's way more of us than there are the people that have a whole lot. It don't matter if you're black, red, green, blue, whatever. It doesn't matter about your race, your culture. It's just when it comes to class in this country, there are more people who don't have a lot compared to those that do. And those that don't have, I mean, those that do have a lot somehow are able to implant narratives that keep us separated instead of realizing that it works a lot better if we work together. But that's why I love Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the, is the culmination of all of these different nodes, regardless of who a person is, they can run a node and participate in the network where all of us value and, and add value to one another by participating in the first place, right? That's the mentality of, of decentralization. That's how it works, right? That's the, that's the beauty of all of this. Yeah. And I, even I've been trying to, I don't know if I'm going to write a piece yet and put it up in Bitcoin Magazine, but it's, it's something that I've definitely been looking into. Even when you look at like the original, uh, I guess like pioneers of America in terms of like Vanderbilt, Carnegie, like a lot of the legacy names when they were younger, they were like young and hungry men that were, you know, they're not maybe the best people to work for They're I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to forgive them for what they did to people that work under them or with them. Uh, but they were like really strong, I'd say through their twenties and maybe even into their early thirties. But then when they saw people started to outcompete them, that's kind of when they joined with the U S government and basically was strong arming and basically created what was legal, what legal monopolies. And they were able to build wealth by exactly that, by destroying other people, instead of actually bringing more value. Uh, right. I will give them credit for the way that they built it up from the beginning, but when they saw other people starting to come in and potentially outcompete them, uh, that's when they needed, you know, someone else to bail them out or basically to keep them in power. Um, Are you saying that America's built on cheaters? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> but that, it's so funny that you're saying it because that's the Fed, right? The Fed is a system of, of cheating. If you think about it, it's like it's it's a, if any system that's built on top of debt is already a cheating system, because if I only have one apple in this entire economy and I lend that apple to you and tell you I need that apple plus an apple back. But there's only one apple. How the heck you get the other apple? There has to be some work that is done. So now all of a sudden I've created a slave out of you. I've made you a slave because now you have to create something that you didn't even have from the beginning. So I'm a, and I don't have to do anything, especially if I can just keep printing it. I can keep printing and lending it to you and keep you working for the rest of your life because you always got to pay me back. Me, I'm just waiting for you to pay me back and then I'll make another slave and get you to pay me back and I'll make another slave, right? And that's what this system is built on. Like it, it was, it was originally built, of course, on the backs of slaves, like, you know what I'm saying? Ancestors of my own. Like I've been able to look back into my ancestry and see the plantations that some of the people in my uh, ancestry line have come from and built on those slaves. But now we have an entire country full of slaves. We got an entire, and as a matter of fact, a lot of people who go to college, they didn't do nothing but create slaves out of them too. They got crazy up to the eyeball debt 
for, for going to get a, a degree that you can't go out here and find a job for, but you definitely have to keep working to pay it. And if you don't work to pay it, that's something that ain't never come off your credit report. And so now you got even more slaves. So any country that is like trying to, instead of thinking about freedom and how can we free the people, trying to figure out ways to lock you up so you're always working until you're 65 and you get some little fake gold watch and you like, they they saying, hey, and you still, you get the gold watch and retire from there, but then you still wind up at Walmart greeting people. Like, come on, man. Like, it's, it's crazy. We are too, we are too rich of a country for it, for it to end like that for so many of our, of our people, man. Period. Yeah. And even we're very privileged that we're in the United States uh, in the sense that we have the global reserve currency. So that definitely gives us the ability to buy goods from other countries. But if you're not if you're not in the United States or you're not even a G7 nation, I mean, Greg Foss says this. Argentina is technically a G20 country and they've defaulted four times in my lifetime. I'm 29. So that just gives a, you know, gives you an idea of like they're a top 20 country. What are the remaining 180 plus? You know, right. that they're, they're struggling to get by by being forced to use the U.S. dollar hegemony. Um, right. So I guess this is a good transition into uh, Bitcoin and the American dream. So I know you had an all-star cast with our own Pete Rizzo from Bitcoin Magazine, along with C.J. Wilson, Amanda Cavallari. I think Gary Leland was another author. Yeah. I know yeah. I'm leaving a few people out. Uh, Anna, Song. Anna, Annalise. Annalise, Annalise. Yeah. I don't ever say her name. I'm sorry, Annalise. Annalise Witterspawn. I think that's how you say it. Uh, we just we just spawn and uh yeah Jimmy Song, I think we you know and, and Charlene Federico. Okay, so I, I, to name everybody, we gonna name everybody. So how was it coming together to write that book? And then what did you learn from you know Jimmy Songs from Texas? You're from Kentucky, Pete's I believe from New York or uh, Boston area. Boston, yeah. Yeah. So what did you learn with coming together and meeting with all? Man, that? I know we're all Bitcoiners under the same thing. But what did you guys learn from each other from their past and stuff? I mean, the, the coolest part about all of that is that. It was probably the most diverse group of individuals you could put into a house to talk about Bitcoin. We had uh, people from all different like walks of life, uh, beliefs, Christians, non-Christians. Like it was just it was crazy having all of these people in this house to write about how Bitcoin affects them and how we see Bitcoin as almost as a, a way of life in the, in America for us to reach the new American dream, right? And so the process was amazing. Jimmy Song. He has the, it's called book sprint where you start writing the book on a Monday and you finish by Saturday. Craziest thing I've ever been a part of. Um, it just, it's, it, it makes you, cause at the beginning you're writing individually, then you come together and tear each other's stuff apart. And then you mad at each other cause somebody tore your stuff down that you spent so much time on. But then by the end of it, you one cohesive unit and you come out with a work of art like Bitcoin and American dream, which we've had great reviews on. Um, even in its early stages, we actually just did the true official launch last week and um, shout out to everybody who's read Bitcoin and American dream. But yeah, I think it's a very important book. I think policymakers, they don't have a, a good enough education about Bitcoin and how it can actually help their constituents. We were talking to a politician earlier today, and I'm like, politicians should never be like, this is what this is how Bitcoin helps me. You should, they should always be thinking about how something helps their constituents because they're supposed to be public servants, right? That's really what it is. It boils down to them being public servants. And so when I think about Bitcoin and American Dream, it gives them a quick, easy read for them to kind of get an understanding of how Bitcoin can actually help their constituents and how it's not, it shouldn't be looked at as a tool of, 
of something that they should be averse to. It should be a tool of help, a tool of adding value to the constituency, a tool of adding value to the people of America. And I think that's why that book is going to be so important because we're going to get in it. It's, it's a book finally written for the politician, for the policymaker. Yeah, and I think you have a good point too. I mean, the politicians are kind of slave to the game as well, you know, with this financial system. You know, they're supposed to be public servants for you and me and the taxpayers or whatever jurisdiction they're from. But uh, you just follow the money and you can see that they're more public servants for the corporations that are running the outlandish debt that they have or, you know, offering stock or whatever it may be. I mean, look no further than the uh, pandemic of 2020 to look where public interest and, uh, you know, Congress's pocketbooks lie. And, you know, do they want to do something that potentially harms their life savings and earnings or do they want to better it and increase it? Um, right, right. Yeah, that's and that's what's crazy, because like you said, the fiat system because of all the money printing the people closest to the printer are the ones that winds up having the power right because they wind up getting it at the earlier stage they don't have to they don't have to slave as much as the other people because they their interest rates are way lower and so what you see is that these companies that can borrow at very low rates and all of that they can use that money to put into campaigns and sway things like the carnegies or whatever right like how the system was built so yeah, man, you, you you hit the nail on the head, but that's because of a fiat system. That's because this system is built that way. So you don't have to really do anything really grand. You might get a lot of money to be bailed out because you're too big to fail. But then we use that money to keep everybody else from ever getting to the point that they're too big to fail. If the system's rigged, brother, we know it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think we would all love to be Michael Saylor and be able to take uh, a cash-producing asset such as your corporation, take out a debt against it, and buy way more Bitcoin than most people will ever see. Um, I, I, but we don't have the privilege of doing that. But you and I can keep stacking in small ways from whatever we do, selling our goods and services right. require more. Um, so in the Bitcoin, the American dream, do you talk about, I guess, do you talk about more of the technical side, you know, how it benefits just the American uh, or globally or everything? Yeah, we talk about uh, Bitcoin as a savings technology because that's huge for the constituents. We talk about the Bitcoin voter, what they look like. We talk about Bitcoin and social justice, right? Um, we talk about Bitcoin and jobs, like job creation, because most politicians, they want to help their constituents find jobs and find new industry. And Bitcoin is a great industry that creates jobs, right? It actually adds jobs. We talk about uh, Bitcoin and energy and not necessarily from the side of the ESG situation, but how it works, right? How Bitcoin actually helps to benefit the energy grid because a lot of the Bitcoiners, are their whole plan is to get the cheapest energy possible. And what's the cheapest energy possible? Renewable energy. So it's like... Right. Because once you get to renewable, you're not paying for it anymore. And so it actually accelerates the growth of renewable energy because you have all of these Bitcoiners fighting for the next Bitcoin, but they want to use the cheapest energy possible. So they have the profits to do the investment to the infrastructure for this type of stuff. Like most of the miners that I hear about, they're trying to find natural gas off runoff or put next to a hydro, um, you know, some type of hydroelectricity or whatever. And I think that's that's the stuff we talk about in the book. We go across a, a lot of many different uh, issues and see how Bitcoin can affect those issues. And that's why I said it's great for politicians because we go so many different ways that some politicians may be unhappy with one chapter, but love another because it's not, this book is not partisan. It is to reach both sides again, like myself, I'm in the aisle. The book is to put be put in the aisle and both sides can reach and grab and pull things from it to kind of make, make things better for their constituency. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I think uh, we had CJ Wilson on the live stream uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about, you know, when you think about most politicians, unless they're avid readers, which uh, most can't be of books because they're just so busy taking calls or doing whatever they do in D.C., I'll let that be. uh, (laughs) I won't comment on that. But uh, basically, if you can give him one book, what book would you give him? And he's like, that's what we were trying to write when we created this. Maybe the Bitcoin standard as a second book, if they're really interested, because, you know, Saifedean, I think, does a really good job describing and how it uh, affects the system. But uh, his might be seen more as name calling of them than, um, you know, that they benefit from this new system. So I hope you guys kind of bridge the gap between the two. Um, Lamar, thanks so much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to add or or talk about? No, man, shout out to Bitcoin Magazine. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. Shout out to everyone over there. Of course, my co-author, Pete Rizzo, uh, he's he's definitely a contributor to Bitcoin Mag. I'm gonna try to see if I can write some more stuff for the Mag as well. But no, nah, man, I have nothing else. Just make sure you find me anywhere. B I G M A R H Big Mar, everywhere. B I G M A R H. Uh, you can find me on all platforms like that. Uh, and you know, follow me. If you don't want to, don't follow me either way. And make sure you come and check out the BlackBitcoinBillionaire.com as well. BlackBitcoinBillionaire.com. No S, just BlackBitcoinBillionaire. Um, and come check that out. We put a lot of news stuff out. Got some great writers there as well. Come check us out, man. We we are we are completely in always trying to educate people on what this new money system is and how Bitcoin helps to foster a new American dream. You know what I'm saying? So Lamar, it's a pleasure having you on. I have a bone to pick with you and Pete because I still don't have the book yet. Oh, (laughs) man. What's Pete doing, man? I don't know what he's doing, man. He needs to get you the book, man. Yeah, so uh, I, I'll go, I'll hit up Pete after this and see where I can go buy the book to support you guys. And No, nah, listen, tell him, don't let make you buy it. Tell him, give you a book. <laughs> All tell right, him. sounds good. If he don't give it to you, I'll give it to you, but Pete will give it to you. All right, sounds good. I'll make sure they'll have a copy no later than the conference. So I'm looking forward to seeing you, Lamar. Uh, Thanks for everything that you do. Looking forward to if you publish more stuff in Bitcoin Magazine. I do more of the video content, but you know where to find us to uh, get more written content on our magazine. So pleasure having you on. Look forward to having you uh, again in the future and looking forward to you speak at the conference. Yes, sir, man. Nice, 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 nice interview. It is really nice meeting you in video. (laughs) See you later, man. Peace out, Lamar. Yeah.